You're listening to Real Crime, the Movie Sleuth Podcast. Hey, yo. What's up, everybody? What's up? Hello. Hello, hello. Chris Jordan is back. How you doing, Chris? Yay. I'm good. It's been been it's a while. It's been a while, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. It's been quite a while. Yes. Yeah, it's been over three years for you. Yeah, um, yeah. It was like that for us a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. And now we're yeah. actually on our third week in a row. It's kind of unbelievable, actually. Yeah, it's good. Good to be good to be back doing this again for sure. Yeah, I was like, can we actually do four weeks in a row? Can we actually <laughs> make it that far? But I think we're gonna do it. I think we're gonna do it for sure, which is awesome. I'm super excited. I think we're all happy to be back. Yes. Mm -hmm. We all felt like we lost a major part of our lives for quite a while there, and here we are Mm -hmm. trying to entertain those that need entertaining. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, this is episode 136 of Real Crime. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be talking about the film works or general creative works of David Lynch, which spans decades he's like 80 years old now isn't he he's got to be yeah i think so close to it so we're gonna be talking about david lynch tonight but before we get to that we need to mention our sponsors projectorscreen.com give them a give them a check out on the internet on the interwebs (laughs) it's gonna be that night i'm not gonna be able to talk tonight sorry so yeah check out projectorscreen.com and then also our other sponsor that just signed up with us for the next year dawn of the collectors check them out on facebook and also they have a toy collector show coming up on february 18th at the vfw in st Clair shores on jefferson so cool all righty now that we got that out of the way anybody got any good news for tonight or is it just me it's just you. Okay. I think it's just you. <laughs> I'm the lonely newsman here. I did not plan ahead. Yeah. I forgot that that was the segment no, that we do on the show. That's all good. It's all good. <laughs> um, so the first bit of news is M. Night Shyamalan's Cabin in the Woods actually had a very good weekend. Um, it's the first weekend that Avatar 2, The Way of Water, mm-hmm. The Weight of Water, slipped out of uh, the number one spot. Mm-hmm. Now it's number two, but M. Night uh, racked up about $15 million at the box office this weekend, which isn't really that good, even for an M. Night movie. It's mm-hmm. kind of shocking. Low numbers for him, mm-hmm. comparatively to Split and Glass in his last few movies. So, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, $15 million for its first week, and this was uh, Avatar fell out of the number one, number one spot after seven weeks. So... You know, still, he's got three of the top four movies of all time. So, other news, James Gunn announced Superman Legacy coming in 2025. Mm-hmm. Does anybody have any feelings about this? Hmm. Eh. eh. I don't know. Eh. We'll see how it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll believe that DC is going to make good movies now when when we when we see it. I'm, uh. yeah, I'm just not <laughs> sure that you know gun is really gonna be able to like transform this whole thing it's such an effing mess at this point i just have a hard time believing it's ever mm-hmm. gonna just be squared away yeah and i mean yeah like i i don't mean to you know disparage the i'm not saying that all the dc movies suck but just like that 
this problem of like Warner as a studio meddling in their films always. Yeah. yeah. Like that problem isn't just gonna go away. Mm. No. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I, 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 I'm skeptical that Gunn is gonna be able to That's, just do his own thing and be yeah. autonomous and not have Warner corporate meddling and. Was he stuff. a producer or just a filmmaker? Because I mean. He's in charge of DC now. He's writing right. the Superman movie. Yeah. Right. As well, far as I know. I guess what I'm driving at is how much business sense does he have? That I don't know. I have no idea. Hmm. I mean, I like everything that he's done up to this point for the most part. With mm-hmm. it, I mean, the Guardians movies, they're a blast. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know? I liked his <clears throat> Suicide Squad. I think it was far greater than the previous Suicide Squad movie. I'm just, you know, again, I'm just kind of cautiously optimistic. Mm. Yeah, I mean, well, Warner just needs to leave them alone and let them do their thing. Because, I yeah. mean, like, even the good DC movies, like how upfront Patty Jenkins has been now about how, like, the crappy third act of Wonder Woman is what it is because the right. studio was like, no, you need to put this in there. Like, we need a big CGI climax at the end, and, you know, so the, like, they even the even the good movies, they can never just, like, leave alone and not mess with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then in other news, there really wasn't a lot this week that happened, but we did get um, an announcement today that Cujo is finally getting a 4K remaster. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. And then the other big 4K news this week was that uh, the people under the stairs... Oh yeah, yeah. One that's of, that's cool. Yeah, that'll be a great. Yep. That'll be that'll look excellent. Mm-hmm. I've never actually owned that movie. I've never had it on VHS, DVD, really? Blu-ray. Yeah, so this will be a first for me. Yeah, I have so. the the existing Scream Factory Blu-ray is really good. Yeah, already. so yeah, that movie is great. It is, it is, and I think it's kind of like a great pe- uh, precursor to the new Candyman film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or I thought a lot about like Barbarian also, where it's like very much a very socially conscious horror yes. film yep. about like evil landlords and right, right. slumlording and how immoral all that is and yeah that one's by Craven right ah uh, yes that yeah West Craven yeah, yeah. and big big Twin Peaks vibes in that one uh, mm. fitting for tonight since uh, oh yeah for yeah, sure Ed, Ed and Nadine are yeah. are the villains that's uh, right <laughs> I totally forgot about that yeah awesome yeah yeah. Perfect, perfect, yeah. perfect. Although, yeah, speaking of uh, James Gunn, um, this week it was fun again to see uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar talking in an interview about uh, the racier, more R-rated original cut of Scooby-Doo that they shot that has never seen the light of day. Mm. And I would love it if, now that James Gunn is... Uh, in good with Warner Brothers, if we might finally get, see that. get the James Gunn cut of, <laughs> of Scooby Doo. Well, now that we've got that, uh, the say what you will about that Velma show, uh, we do have a sort of adult-oriented property of Scooby Doo now. So I could see a R-rated Scooby Doo movie being made. There's been some pretty good Scooby Doo porn too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Of, of course, Chris. Of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it did not involve Scooby-Doo, though. We'll just say that much, okay? But anyways, yes, yeah, so really, there was no big 
movie news other than the DC stuff this last week. Not much mm-hmm. has been going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, moving on, upcoming releases this week. Zero. Nothing. There's no major releases this week. But mm-hmm. I believe in the next couple of weeks we're getting the new Ant-Man, correct? Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. <laughs> it's out next week. Or Is it? The week after, I Okay, think. yeah. But really not much going on. It's kind of like we're just in the dregs of winter right now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully yeah. it starts to improve a little bit. Um, so next thing we typically do is our suggested viewings. And I actually picked up the new 4K remaster of Escape from Alcatraz mm. and watched that on Friday night. And that movie has never looked more fabulous. Mm-hmm. It looks great. It looks like it was just made yesterday. And it just, the whole thing just holds up really, really well. Like, it doesn't need to be modernized, that story. What they did with it was great, very stressful, very timely. And I hate to say this, but it's one of Clint Eastwood's probably best acting roles. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of, you know, a little bit brooding and a, very mysterious. But the movie overall holds up very well. And the new 4, 4K remaster looks wonderful and sounds almost better than it looks Hmm. so if you have a chance to pick that up definitely pick that one up andrew i'm going to defer to you now okay um i don't know if it's still in theaters it came out recently but uh this iranian serial killer film called holy spider uh, i think michelle reviewed it for uh, utopia so it'll probably get a vinegar syndrome release at some point and i guess it's about the the spider killer and he was targeting prostitutes in Iran, and uh, a journalist, I guess a fictional journalist in this case, goes on her own to try and track down the killer herself against a number of obstacles, including mm-hmm. uh, a very chauvinistic society that's kind of looking the other way, a corrupt police system, and of course a, a madman who thinks he's doing God's work. So it's mm-hmm. a... It's a tense movie, a little explicit near the beginning, but one of the best movies of 2023, easily. So you caught this in theater, correct? I did. At the It just crept into theaters unannounced. Cool. I need to check that one out, because I keep hearing good things about it. Yeah, that sounds excellent. Hmm. Yeah, anything for us, Connor? Um, I watched All That Jazz, directed nice. by Bob Foss, with Ooh. Roy Schneider in it. I think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Honestly, and I'd really recommend it. Probably the best Roy Scheider performance yeah. of anything, even better than Jaws or Sorcerer, mm. which I thought were the top two for a while. Yeah. Sorcerer's pretty damn great, though. I've not seen that one yet. You'd like it. Mm. 70s action style, very dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's for mm. uh, criminals, basically, from all over the globe or gathered together to uh, try and cart, what is it, nitroglycerin across yes. a, yeah. a rocky terrain and it just kept keeps getting more and more nerve-wracking as it goes on. Oh, yes. Mm. I'm just going to move your mic over a little closer. There you go. All That'd right. be better. Okay. Cool. All right, Chris Jordan, what do you got for us? All right. Uh, well, in light of uh, the new Shout Factory, Jackie Chan box set that just got announced. Uh, I just revisited uh, Operation Condor that's in there. Mm -hmm. For my money, that is the best Jackie Chan movie. And this box set is going to be the first time that 
it's ever gotten an official release in the Cantonese language or in its director's cut in the U.S. since that one's been under lock and key from Miramax for all these years, just available in the shorter dubbed version. Mm. So, and that yeah. just came out, like, what, last week, right? Uh, no, it just got announced last week. Oh, it's not really? coming out for a bit. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that has, like, that beautiful <clears throat> box. Right? Yeah, yeah, so this is volume two. It's uh, it's pretty stacked. Yeah, it's uh, Armor of God, Operation Condor, um, uh, Wheels on Meals, Winners and Sinners, Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars, like a bunch of like top shelf Jackie Chan movies. And I was surprised that that one was even in that set, Operation Condor, because I kind of figured that it was probably gonna get like its own yeah, its own boutique right. release because that's kind of you know a we, big a big deal movie in its own right you know we really need to get one of these boutique blu-ray companies to sponsor us so yeah vinegar syndrome yeah criterion you know well, synapse is right in the area yeah we 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 attempted it it didn't work mm. but <laughs> you know you win some you lose some Indeed, indeed. We will continue to try, but that would be great. Also, I was thinking about sponsors, too, like marijuana. <laughs> Can we get, like, a marijuana dispensary to sponsor this show? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I think that's I think that's where we should go next. Call up, call up Breeze. <laughs> yep. Hey, hey, sponsor our show. Mm-hmm. Give us free dope. Oh, All and right. uh, it'll be uh, a- April, April 11th is when April that box 11th. set is coming out. And, yeah, it's Winners and Sinners, Wheels on Meals, The Protector, Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars, Armor of God, Operation Condor, Crime Story, and City Hunter. Very cool. Yeah. I'll have to pick that up, too. How much was it? Uh, right now, it's pre-order for 100 bucks. That's not that bad, though. No, for, like, no. boutique editions of all those. Yeah, that's not bad at all. I do have a little bit of news on boutique releases. Oh, this yeah? company named Ignite Films put out a 4k uhd of the original invaders from mars oh yeah i saw that it's the only available through this company currently i Mm. think arrow is going to handle the uk release of it but many critics online are calling it the the disc of the year thus far oh wow very cool so i have that pre-ordered and on the way so i mean i just like the fact that i can go back and watch something that maybe i saw when i was a kid or something I've never seen before and enjoy a film from the 50s, 60s, or 70s as if it just came out today. Yeah. And I think that's the really beautiful thing about all these new remasters that are coming out. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it just... There's stacks and stacks and stacks of them now. And you can't keep up with it, mm-hmm. you know? And for me, the, you know, quadruple dipping on shit, as we found <laughs> out, we went through our entire collection and took out most of the duplicates unless they were like steel books. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And there's boxes of movies to get rid of. Boxes and boxes. But Really? Yes. One of these days we'll go through them all. You guys see what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> there's Excellent. a lot. So tonight we're gonna be talking about David Lynch, and we all have an enormous love for this man as a creator, as a writer, as a director. How do you guys want to attack this? Do we want to talk about each one of his movies like we normally do like do we want to go down the list how do you guys want to attack this hmm. yeah I don't know. that might make a certain amount of i think like release order down the list would be okay good. yeah i'm good with that don't spoil dune for me 
No, we won't. (laughs) Are we we including short films or are we just covering features? I would say just features because I think if we get into short films, Mm. we're going to, we'll be here for a month (laughs) and we've got like an hour left. So, you know, we should uh, touch on the big ones, the important ones, but Mm. we can start at the beginning. So what would be his first feature length? Was it Elephant Man? Eraser. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that is one hell of a hell of a debut for sure. Mm-hmm. That is got to be one of the more striking debut features. It's a striking debut feature, but it also really sets up the Lynch aesthetic as far oh, as yeah. what you see, you know, the you know, the continuing on throughout his career. Mm-hmm. But this one was in total black and white too, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yep. in black mm-hmm. and white. Mhm. All right, tell me about Eraserhead. Um, that's a dream of dark and troubling things, as the tagline on the poster says. Yeah. Um, it's open to interpretational, mostly the satirical dark comedy about the fears of parenthood or becoming a parent. Namely, this character, what's his name, Henry? Henry, yeah. Played mm. by uh, Jack Nance, who would become a recurring actor in Lynch's movies over the years, like in Bit Parts or in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. And it's very homemade, very student, uh, very student project, homegrown. Um, a lot of the effects that are done, they did on the fly very cheaply. All the sound in it, which is part of Lynch's aesthetic, was done on uh, recycled uh, uh, tape ends. Oh so, wow! Huh? So that's one of the, really interesting. One of the best sounding movies of all time. So did he have an actual budget for this film, or was this like kind of, you know, like guerrilla-style filmmaking on this one? Was this like total art house, or was this, you know, funded by anybody? Um, I know that early on in his short film portion of his career, he got a grant from the American Film Institute, but I don't know how much of that factored in the Eraserhead. I want to say some of it did, but I know that one was shot over many years very slowly mm-hmm. as I think he got like some money and I think he just kind of like get everybody back together and shoot some more Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly I used to know how long it took to make that movie but I've forgotten over the years but yeah I know it was a very slow gradual production that started and stopped a lot. What year did this come out in? 77 mm-hmm. I think Kind of create, came out the same year as Star Wars. Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah. Yep. But it was a midnight movie. And, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, uh, Lynch almost directed Return of the Jedi. Cause, uh, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Imagine. That. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Lynch doing a Star Wars movie. I mean, he turned it down, but he still met with George Lucas. And a lot of the stuff with the speeding cars on Mulholland Drive, which we'll get to later, that was him... Remembering what it was like to drive in a, a Corvette with George Lucas and him going 100 miles an hour. Really? Yeah. Huh. I, I did mean, not know that. Can you imagine if he had directed Return of the Jedi? <laughs> oh. I, it's, yeah, that's really hard to imagine. Because, I mean, we'll, we'll get to Dune, obviously, but, like, how even him doing kind of a mainstream film is still really, really weird and out there. Yeah. Mm-mm. I wonder... I feel like that would have just gone poorly, and him and Lucas would have, like, clashed a lot, and he probably would have gotten fired at some point or something. (laughs) Well, because we all know sometimes when you have two visionaries working together like Mm -hmm. that, there's Mm -hmm. going to be 
butting of heads, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, no, this has got to be made for kids. No, we're going to make the most hyper-violent Star Wars movie ever made. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's... <sighs> yeah, but... Mm. But Eraserhead did catapult him into the mainstream because... Uh, yeah. Uh, they were Mel Brooks was looking for directors to do the Elephant Man for his Brooks Films company, which was they were they were trying to do serious movies instead of just comedies. And he saw Eraserhead and uh, hired him there and then to do the Elephant Man. Mm. And uh, I think it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, oh, wow. Best yeah. Actor. I don't know if it won for makeup or if that movie generated uh the makeup awards category or not because it was so revolutionary what they did with john hurt on the body and facial makeup chris you still haven't you said you still need to see uh yeah elephant man is the one film of his that i've not seen oh it's it's very good yeah i don't think it's as good as some of his later works but it's a very good early film in his career yeah yeah i don't think it's you know, it's a very hard one to make that call on. I mean, because it is a fabulous film and it mm-hmm. is based on a real life story. Mm-hmm. And he does a really, really good job of, you know, getting his audience to sympathize with the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, and the prosthetics work yeah. in this film is absolutely amazing, which is another thing I was talking about last night, like on Facebook, watching Starship Troopers mm-hmm. going like, holy shit. The practical effects work in that movie is amazing yeah. to this day. It mm-hmm. looks great. I would take that any day over, you know, like full CGI. Oh, yeah. But that was a really great part about the Elephant Man was that they made that makeup work really, really well. And it's mm-hmm. believable. It doesn't look fake. Like, you believe you're actually watching this person on film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The Elephant Man, oh man, it's just it's a heartbreaking movie. Mm. Yeah. Very, very yeah. heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Mm. But more straightforward compared to Eraserhead. Eraserhead was kind of non-linear and you could read it many number of ways. And the Elephant Man, save for some dream sequences and the black and white aesthetic, Victorian era period aesthetic, it's very uh, linear for Lynch. Mm. Yeah, this was definitely one of his more straightforward stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and it's... I don't know. It's just, it's so dark, but it makes you realize what that man went through. What was mm-hmm. his real name? Uh, <clears throat> John Merrick. John Merrick. Joseph yeah, Merrick. Yeah. yeah, Joseph Merrick. Yeah. Horrifying movie. I mean, really, and we, me and you have discussed this at length before, you know, a lot of Lynch films, like they don't especially qualify as horror, but this is another movie. I mean, this is it's partly horror because yeah. it's horrifying. It's scary <clears throat> imagining what this man went through mm-hmm. during that time when people didn't understand mm-hmm. anything. Culture was so different and people just did not understand that, you know, things happen and you have to sympathize with people that have, you know, bodily, you know, uh, that have been, what's the word I'm looking for? Disfigured. Disfigured. Mutated, different things like that. People mm-hmm. back then didn't completely understand, mm-hmm. whereas now people are more understanding. So yeah, everything about that movie is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Man, I can't talk tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Visually and uh, sonically, because again, sound in his movies. Uh, even if you just turn off the lights and just let the soundscape, 
envelop you. It, it becomes an unpleasant place to be in. Yeah. Yeah, the way that he builds those soundscapes is really important. Well, definitely one of the distinguishing features of a racer oh, head, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the Elephant Man did so well that it uh, landed him in a film that would build his career quite a bit, but it also transformed his career because he did everything he could to get away from it. Uh, that being Dune, the nineteen eighty four Dune. Yeah. So, so Dune was right after the Elephant Man. Elephant Man was nineteen eighty. Okay. Yeah, it was so. his next. Yeah. Big feature. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and that is. I I like Dune. I will defend David Lynch's Dune all day. Although, yeah, I mean that's. It's a lot better than it gets credit for, but that is that is a movie that sort of died in the editing room. Like that's, in yeah, it's, it's nobody hates it more than me. <laughs> yeah, although even, Lynch sounds like he's kind of softened on it over the years because like now he finally sounds like he's considering going back and mm-hmm. he's at least said he's vaguely curious about what it would be like to do a director's cut. Although I doubt he actually will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's there's what's Dave. That movie really does feel like a David Lynch movie. Mm-hmm. Like visually, all the like weird bits around the edges. Um, like you know, it's all the the aesthetic of it is very Lynch. Like all the grotesqueries, especially all the all the House Harkonnen mm-hmm. stuff, uh, and. Yeah, like, lots of Lynchian touches there, and, you know, I, like, I, there's, I know, I've mentioned this to you guys outside of the podcast, but there's, uh, there's a long cut that's on YouTube, that's a fan-made cut that, like, takes all the deleted scenes and puts them back kind of according to the script in a way that's, like, less haphazard than the shitty extended cut that's on DVD that was, like, Mm -hmm. slapped together for Sci-Fi Channel. Mm Mm-hmm. And it really vindicates that movie and shows, like, yeah, like, Lynch shot a good movie that's a solid adaptation of the book and just a good movie in its own right. Mm. And, like, getting 45 minutes cut out of it is what killed that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I've never read Dune. Mm. So I don't know the story of Dune. Yeah. Um, and you guys have read the books, correct? Uh, I've read about half of the first one. I started okay. to go back and finish. It. I've yeah, I've I've read I've read the first two. I'm in the middle of Children of Dune right now, actually. So I think if I had been a big fan <clears throat> of the book and had watched the movie, I yeah. would have been able to follow it a little bit better. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I have a very hard time following the narrative in Lynch's Dune versus Denny's version. Yeah. I mean, they are two totally separate animals. Oh, yeah. Where I think, like, Denny kind of went, like, I'm telling the story of Dune. I'm breaking it up into two parts. We're going to have these TV series that are going to help fill in, you know, the backstory and all of that. Mm. Yeah. But um, the Lynch version of Dune, I appreciate it because it did kind of come off the popularity of Star Wars Mm -hmm. and The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and the fact that Lynch was not a sci-fi director mm-hmm. at all, and he mm-hmm. was able to move into that wheelhouse, 
and do what he did with it. He did the best he could. Yeah. Not really, I think, totally understanding the source material. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest problem with the movie, it's not the visuals because there are some really cool. Oh yeah, there's some incredible visuals in yeah. that film. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of the desert landscapes and stuff are very cool, yeah. and the cast is fabulous in this movie as well. Oh yeah. Other was... than Sting, who just couldn't act. <laughs> but... <laughs> Sting, Sting just Poor has to Sting. show up and yeah. just like stand there and his thong, and that's yeah, that's all he had to do. And then he just sings like really high pitched mm. notes that nobody else could hit. But yeah. um, <laughs> that was the first movie that uh, he met Kyle MacLachlan on, who right, would right. become yeah his probably his greatest actor. Oh, oh for yeah. sure. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of most of his recurring future collaborators, like Everett McGill, Big Ed Hurley. He met on pretty sure he met him on Dune, but mm-hmm. he's certainly in Dune. Dean Stockwell is in there. Um, Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif. Yeah, loads of Lynch regulars mm-hmm. are in. Th- and, yeah, that's... Every time I... Like, when the Arrow disc came out and I rewatched it for the first time in a while, it's always kind of the same experience where, like, the first, like, half of that movie, you're like, oh, I don't see why this gets so much crap. This is really good. And then there's the time jump, and then it's like, oh, yeah, oh, right. shit. It's like, it just feels like, oh, fast forward, fast forward. Mm. It kind of falls forward. Yeah, and like if you watch like that long version that's on YouTube, mm-hmm. the back half of that movie, there's like twenty more minutes in there where it's like, oh, okay, this this helps a lot. Helps move it along. Yeah, or it helps. Yeah, like there's like more story there, and like, yeah, there's. But yeah, that's. I enjoy this movie mm-hmm. for what it is. Yeah. You know, I even being not a, like a major Dune fan of the novels or the you know previous stories. Um, I think it's still it's a watchable film and it, it actually kind of and maybe this isn't a good good comparison but it kind of reminds me of Star Trek the motion picture mm-hmm. where like oh, yeah. you can tell it was like problematic making this thing but it still looks so damn good that yeah. you can enjoy it mm-hmm. you know oh, Star yeah. Trek the motion picture they didn't really know what they were doing with that either mm-hmm. but some of those visuals in that movie are mind-blowing to mm-hmm. this day yeah. They look even better on the 4K of that now as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Dune, it's just you can just tell this is a guy that didn't really know what he was doing, but was attempting to do sci-fi. Yeah. He didn't yeah. have final cut on that movie. Of course, he didn't have final no. cut on uh, The Elephant Man either. He just had uh, Mel Brooks there to protect him. But when he started working with Dino De, Laurent- Dino De Laurentiis on Dune, uh, he didn't have that same level of protection. So after the ordeal of Dune, for Lynch it was an ordeal, or yeah. as he described it as a nightmare, mm-hmm. he started scaling back the budget significantly to retain Final Cut. And that was the approach he took going forward with his next project, Blue Velvet. Yeah, well, and Blue Velvet, it's it's interesting that, I mean, it's kind of surprising that he worked with Dino De Laurentiis again after how much he got burned on that and it almost kind of feels like De Laurentiis kind of like gave him blue velvet and total artistic control on that as almost like an apology Mm. like hey yeah sorry I ruined your career almost with this last one like can I make it up to you by just letting you totally make your own film and I won't screw with it this time Mm. like it kind of I've always wondered if that's like sort of how that conversation went because it it really feels that way. Mm. I know yeah. he uh, 
had to he said he had to start his own production company because he didn't know anyone that would buy Lynch's movie after they cut it together. Wow. They were just perplexed by it. Blue Velvet was actually my introduction to Lynch. Mm. This was the first one that I ever saw. Mm. You know, so then I had to backtrack and see the others. Mm. But I remember this was a pretty big deal when this movie came out, you mm. know, because he had be you know, was known as this, you know, more eccentric director yeah. who had done some amazing works and now like he's been given free reign to do his thing again. Yeah. And I remember seeing Blue Velvet the first time and being like, holy shit. Like, this is a great movie. It is. It's an absolute yeah. great movie. And it's the characters in this film. You know, there's so many layers to them. Mm-hmm. And they're so creative. And it's just dense, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely the movie where he really arrives as an auteur after mm-hmm. the first the first three being like a weird journey with like the lo-fi indie and then two dabblings in Hollywood and yeah it feels like in a lot in a lot of ways Blue Velvet is like the first like proper David Lynch movie as we think of him I where guess. he had total creative control over his aesthetic his narrative and uh yeah that yeah. was that was where he met uh, his other best actress uh, Laura, Laura Dern. Dern Laura Dern yeah He's in, like, most of his stuff mm-hmm. going forward. Because yeah. she's fabulous. She's great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, she's absolutely fabulous. What did I just see her in? What did I just watch? Oh, I watched The Founder again <laughs> last night. Huh. And she plays Ray huh. Kroc's wife in that movie. Mm-hmm. The Founder of McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I should have recommended that one. Oh. I've seen that movie, like, 20 times. Whenever I'm looking for something to watch, I'm like, I'm just going to watch The Founder again. Mm. The movie's fabulous. Love it. Yeah, I've ne- never actually seen it. Very good. Mm. Very good. So, okay, back to David Lynch. Yeah, Blue Velvet. Um, yeah, no, Blue Velvet is great. Yeah, that, that was also the first, well, probably Dune was the first one that I saw, like, when I was, like, a kid and didn't really have any basis for being a David right. Lynch film. But yeah, Blue Velvet was the first first david lynch film i saw when i like knew what that meant mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's and just like the tone of it is so i mean i like like a razorhead is just such a like confidently weird mm-hmm. bold tone with like how and i mean a lot of a lot of twin peaks in there too with like how brightly colored and idyllic and like the sort of like really cranked up exaggerated like perfect americana with all the creepiness under it and like yeah that's and that's basically aesthetic the consistent theme Mm -hmm. through his work to me yeah the small town america yeah yeah and the corruption in it which he brings Mm -hmm. to a much higher extent in twin peaks Mm -hmm. you'll get to soon and i mean i know dennis hopper had done weird roles up to this point but this was like dennis hopper like dude you can watch this movie and you know he's coked up out of his (laughs) mind and it works i mean he's he's totally blown out this entire movie Mm -hmm. you know he is that's not acting that's i've always wondered like was that was that before he got sober or was i mean i I I doubt it yeah i mean Uh, but this is when i mean he really like 
he started to hit that character home at this point. And this was when, like, yeah. you know, Hopper was always an amazing <clears throat> actor. Mm-hmm. But at this point, he kind of hit that peak of, oh, yeah, this is who I'm going to be from now on. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to be this crazy motherfucker. And he did this a lot after this movie, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that kind of was his thing, yeah. Yeah. But he's That's got to be his best performance. Oh, yeah. He's so yeah. good in that film. He kind of allowed himself to become typecast at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he just went with it. Yeah, and Isabella Rossellini, of course, is incredible in that film mm-hmm. and a really, also really commits to a really dark character that I've got to imagine was pretty brutal to have to inhabit that mm-hmm. that role. But yeah, she's so good in that also. Well, yeah, to be able to take all that abuse mm-hmm. in, you know, all of that, in film, I mean, we know it can have an after effect on people, mm-hmm. and I mean, yeah. she really took a lot yeah. in that movie, a lot. Yeah, she. Uh, I think she and Lynch started dating after that movie. Yeah, wow, that sounds right. <laughs> huh. I'd be like, no, I'm not dating you. <laughs> you put me through hell. Well, apparently, David Lynch is like super nice to work with. Like actors always talk about how like comfortable they feel working on his stuff, and it sounds mm-hmm. like he actually despite how fucked up everything is in his movies, it sounds like he actually does create like a pretty safe environment for his actors. Well, a few years ago at the DFT, they were having like a David Lynch thing and they were showing the art life, which is the documentary Oh yeah, on David Lynch. And my mom was like, Oh, you like David Lynch. Do you want to go see this documentary at the DFT? And I was like, sure, let's go. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, and they're showing Mulholland Drive ah, right after. Do you want to see nice. that too? And I'm like, yeah, I've never seen it in a theater. So mm. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to see Mulholland Drive with my mom. Like, that's going to be a little bit awkward, you know. <laughs> but we saw the art life first, and then they had like a little luncheon thing, and then you watched the other movie. Yeah. But the art life really captures Lynch like as he is. And he's really just like this sweet dude smoking a cigarette and he doesn't seem very full of himself, just a lot of textures. And, you know, he's dedicated his entire life to photography, film in art. And this entire documentary is about him making art and just him being himself. And like the documentary, like basically he's like in this like little rooftop garden the entire time Mm. like he doesn't live this extravagant lifestyle which i'm sure he could i'm sure he's made quite a bit of money in hollywood but he lives this very like normal lifestyle and the entire movie goes into his personality Mm. and how really he lives his life as an artist Mm. yeah it was it was really cool actually seeing him Mm. create and talk Mm. about his processes and everything it's really slow. It's not hyper edited or anything. It's just very much like this is who he is. Accept him for who he is or don't. Yeah. But um, really cool movie. I would definitely suggest checking that out. If you're a film buff, it gives you a really good look into who he is. Mm-hmm. And I believe like he's hanging out with one of his grandchildren in, in this movie. And you're like, well, he's like a grandpa and like just chilling out. You know, mm-hmm. smoking away, doing his art. Um, but yeah, so then Mulholland Drive after if that was... My mom wanted to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? What did we just What watch? were those little old people? Yeah. 
<laughs> um, one thing we didn't bring up about Blue Velvet was this was also the first time that Lynch's music really started to come into play, working yes. with Angela Badlamenti and Julie yeah. Cruz, also yeah. late Julie Cruz. Mm. Because <clears throat> she sings that song that's at the end of the movie, uh, oh, yeah. Mysteries of Love. So originally, it was going to be this track that's used in Lost Highway, but they couldn't get the rights to it. So they uh, they recorded their own track, and mm. uh, that was the first time he and Julie Cruz met before they would make uh, music immortality with their work on Twin Peaks. Yeah, because then after that point, did Angelo Badalamenti score every other david lynch film after that with exception to inland empire yes mm. you know, okay every project forward was bad lamenti score. yeah wow yeah yeah andrew john allen says hi hello in that his brother dave is moving back to michigan i heard that he okay. called me so. <laughs> cool yay <laughs> it's a party uh it's a Palm Door, won by David Lynch in, what, 1990, 91 for Wild at Heart. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He won the Palm Door for that one the at the Cannes Film Festival, which mm. is the highest honor. Wild yeah. at Heart came along, you know, I had seen um, Blue Velvet, like, on VHS or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, reading Film Threat. Because that was, you know, you, you read film magazines back, you know, my day. <laughs> yep. Back in my day, you <laughs> read these things called magazines. Um, <laughs> but there was a magazine, Film Threat, and uh, it's a regular printed magazine, and you'd get it from the grocery store, but it was all, like, independent cinema yeah. in it. And, you know, I'd pick that up every month, and, you know, they were talking about wild at heart in that and it was like oh there's another one coming yeah and then you know we saw this one i believe at the main art oh yeah yeah rest rest in peace rest in peace main art yeah but this movie i mean it just kicks you in the face from Mm. the beginning yeah that's absolutely yeah i need to i need to rewatch that one because i only saw that once back in high school and i didn't love it but i i need to see it again i feel like i would enjoy it much more now i didn't like it initially but over the years it's really grown on me and the <clears throat> initially over the top performances uh you know, there's a lot of subtlety and nuance and and them uh like yeah nicholas cage goes over the top and it does the cage-tastic thing but there's a lot of times where he's not doing that where he's like down to earth He's fabulous in this movie. I love him in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this was before, I mean, really, he really got into the Nicolas Cage tropes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he, he was still a fairly big actor at this point, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because sure. I think this was prior to Con Air. Oh, in it the was Rock like five years before mm-hmm. Con Air and The Rock. Yeah. 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 This so, was like just pretty fresh off of Raising Arizona. And stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. Arizona. Don't get me started. <laughs> oh, I watched that for the first time like a week or so ago. Raising Arizona. Yeah, yes. really good. So good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I get, that was another one. You know what? We used to watch that on repeat. Me and my mom, you know, we'd go up north and be like, what do you want to watch? Uh, let's watch Raising Arizona again. Mm. Yeah. yeah. We wore that videotape out because we loved that nice. movie. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Wild at Heart, it's just great. And it, it strikes on a lot of those same 
notes as Blue Velvet. It's kind of violent. It's mysterious. But that relationship between Nick Cage and Laura Dern. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of reminds me a little bit of... Um, Natural Born Killers. Yeah, I was going to say Mickey and Mallory Knox. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, Diane Ladd, who is, uh, plays... Laura Dern's mother in the movie is actually her biological mother. Yeah. Oh. Uh, she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, and probably uh, Lynch said that she was probably the best actress that he ever had the pleasure of working with because wow. a lot of the stuff like with the makeup where she's standing in front of the mirror and she starts spraying makeup all over her face, that was just her idea. She came up with it on her own, mm. and Lynch was like, you're just giving me all these great ideas on, uh, yeah. on the spot. That's cool. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I need to rewatch that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Wild at Heart. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen this one in years, mm-hmm. but I just remember loving it. And just that whole stairwell scene where he kills that dude, mm-hmm. like, phenomenal. Phenomenal. And so brutal, mm-hmm. you know? Um, similar to Reservoir Dogs in that way where, you know, cold calculating murder in, like, bloodshed was really, like becoming a mainstay in like independent cinema at that mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. Yeah. um but yeah wild at heart's great willem Absolutely defoe let's talk about willem defoe and his uh. teeth <laughs> okay because <laughs> lynch i think he said you can always tell a lot about a person by their teeth and he's got these really gross rotted pincers that he's wearing and he is just a really grotesque larger than life uh lizard of a character yeah has a really flamboyant way of going out too. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about Twin Peaks? Yeah, I think that this is yeah. this is where we should because Twin Peaks was from shortly before it was Twin Peaks and then Wild at Heart, right? right. Or were they kind of the same two. time? Yeah, roughly around the same time. But I think you're right. I think Twin Peaks came a little bit before. Yeah, well, because Wild at Heart casts. Uh, Cheryl Lee as the like mm-hmm. as the the, the good witch yeah, at the end. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, who plays? Uh... Oh God, I'm gonna f- I'm forgetting your name now. Spit it out, man! Spit it out! <laughs> Come on, Cheryl and Fenn. Yes. Yeah, she's in it too. Oh yeah, she oh, has yeah, a, yeah. a minor role in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, Twin Peaks. Yeah, Twin Peaks is a that was a that was a game changer. I mean, watching that now, it's still unbelievable that that was on network tv mm-hmm. like that that was that was on like abc, ABC. Yeah. yeah yeah and that's like both in terms of what they were able to get away with but i i a lot of that you'd have trouble getting on tv now i mean and just creatively that a network let him do that mm-hmm. is wild that well that show is just so weird and I mean, yeah the crazy thing about it was that twin peaks became like a cultural phenomenon oh yeah i mean i remember going to high school and my friend chris miraslaw that i'm friends with on facebook you know you know who killed laura palmer like everybody was wearing the t-shirts we had lunch mm-hmm. boxes and shit you know mm-hmm. yeah there was like twin peaks was huge especially for the first season when it came out yeah like we were watching shows like Cheers and Night Court and Family Ties yeah. up until this point. And yeah, there were some, you know, there was like St. Elsewhere and there were other like good dramas. Um, What was, uh, 
I don't think NYPD Blue had been quite out like Hill, yet. Hill Street Blues? Hill Street Blues, yeah. Yeah. So we had a lot of these like straightforward dramas about cops and hospitals mm-hmm. and some family dramas and whatnot. But when Twin Peaks came out, there hadn't been anything like this yet that no. was just like weird and was allowed to be weird and artistic and established this cult following like right away mm-hmm. and people were like talking about this show oh yeah you know, all the time like this would be like the water cooler show mm-hmm. every week for people at that time mm-hmm. you know and there was no internet you know so you mm-hmm. couldn't go online to try and figure out yeah. the great mysteries of twin peaks mm-hmm. you had to talk about it with people mm-hmm. you know which was a far greater way of communicating about something i mean at least i think so yeah. i'd rather talk face to face with people than over the internet um indeed but yeah, this was a huge deal, mm-hmm. huge deal. You know, tw- there were Twin Peaks magazines and Twin Peaks books and, yeah. you know. Laura Palmer's Secret Diary, I think, was a book. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there were, you know, videotape sets and shit, you know. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, this yeah. was This was actually a really, really big deal. Yes, and yeah, definitely sort of like the kind of the, the father of, like, prestige auteur television mm-hmm. in a way because yeah like you said like St. Elsewhere and Hill Street Blues and those were like kind of building towards that but mm-hmm. that was definitely like that must have been one of the first examples of a TV show associated with a showrunner mm-hmm. where there's like this filmmaker is yeah like that was probably a very early example of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and this was a very early example of what we see going on with TV now, where it's like an event. It's a huge deal, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? And People of course, gather around for viewing parties. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, and, you know, this was another one of those shows where, like, oh, what's going to happen next week? You yeah. Know? And you had to sit through commercials, you know? And you had <laughs> to wait, and you were excited to see the scenes at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Totally different. <sighs> Man. Yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, no, Twin Peaks <laughs> is definitely, definitely a game changer, and gotta be Lynch's like biggest cultural footprint. Definitely. Also, yeah, mm-hmm. it was the first of his that I watched, and I remember just being totally drawn in from episode three where Cooper has the, the dream. dream at the end. Oh my god! <laughs> oh yeah, and that's another thing that like that show starts out like, oh yeah, this is gonna be like sort of a murder mystery small town soap opera and then episode three the dream with the midget and it's like hold on what is this show what's going on it has you wondering like is this really relevant is he just having a dream here like what's going on with this stuff he's doing on the board does that mean Mm. something yeah and it just unravels itself really well until like episode 10 of season two yeah it Mm. like yeah it plays its cards so close to the chest where it's like it's pretty much the end of season one before you realize, like, oh, there's, like, there's supernatural stuff going on in Twin mm. Peaks and, mm. like, the the Black Lodge and, like, all that. Like, it unwinds that so slowly. There's, like, not even an inkling of it in the first episode. Mm. Yeah. So season two came along and then it was canceled. What happened? Why was it canceled? Did it just fall uh, off a cliff? Well, from what I understand is that Lynch was not involved in the production that much past like episode 10 or so uh after the initial mystery is sort of over 
Okay. I remember reading some stuff, at least on Wikipedia, this would yeah. have to be checked, that like Kyle McLaughlin was upset with him for not being there, and that's sort of why yeah. he has a smaller role okay. in Firewalk with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... <clears throat> the extras on the DVD and Blu-ray set, um, I don't know, yeah, I don't know about Kyle McLaughlin. I thought there was like some some other... Re- I, yeah, I, I don't... I don't I didn't know they had a falling out or whatever, but uh, I'm not sure how accurate that is. Yeah, uh, well, what if uh, it's on Wikipedia? It's, it's true. Oh though. yeah, it's definitely true. <laughs> but no, uh, on the so apparently, yeah, like the network just kept pressuring them to solve. The, like you have to, you have to solve the mystery. People want to know who killed Laura Palmer, and it was never like, meant to be revealed. Yeah, and like they were made to reveal it, but like the network kind of kept like pushing them to, and they. They had no plot after that. They didn't know where they were going to go. And that's why, like, there's, like, the second third of season two just sort of, like, messes around a bit and has, like, all these, like, weird plot threads that go nowhere. Because it was literally, you know, it wasn't like now where, like, oh, we'll just take a mid-season hiatus and then write. Yeah, it's like, no, they just had no plot. They didn't know where they were going to go next. And they still had to just, like, crank out an episode every week so they just like the middle of the season just like dicks around and yeah david lynch kind of like got disenchanted and stepped back but in the extras mark frost says that by the end of the two of them like figured out what they were going to do for season three and they had a plot and got excited about it again and they were like okay yeah we're gonna like season three is gonna be good we have a we have a story now yeah the ratings fell off so much after after, you know, when they revealed who killed Laura Palmer, and then, you know, all the stuff with, like, the aliens, and Wyndham Earl, and nobody really <laughs> cared, and the ratings kind of fell off a cliff, and so, like, that's why they did their, like, Hail Mary, they're like, okay, to prevent us from getting cancelled, we need to end on a cliffhanger where every character's life is in danger. And that's why season two ends on a cliffhanger where, like, every single cast member might or might not die. Right, right. But it didn't work, and it got canceled anyway. Um, But, you know, Mark Frost has talked a bit about what their idea was for season three, and it basically is what they actually did with season three. It was gonna be, like, you know, like... Dark Coop and other Coop in the Black Lodge, right, right. and it's like that was a surprising amount of what season three was going to be in like 1993. Mm. Wound up getting worked back into Twin Peaks: The Return, but yeah, and that's I I would say about Twin Peaks also though that like a lot of people kind of generalize like oh yeah season one was great and season two sucked, but if you ask people. Most people think that the end of season one is where they wrap up the Laura Palmer mystery. A lot of people sort of, like, falsely remember that as oh, being, right. like, partway through season two. Because right, season right, one was right, just right. eight episodes. It was a mid-season replacement. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a lot of people kind of forget. Like, no, the first first half of <laughs> season two is, like, maybe some of the best Twin Peaks. Absolutely. I yeah. think it's some of the the best stuff in the show before season three. Oh, yeah. And, of course... And the the season two finale is incredible. Yeah, fantastic episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we want to jump into Firewalk with me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, since we're already here. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, Firewalk with me. I like Firewalk with me, but that was 
Again, yeah. The, wasn't that supposed to be the first of a trilogy oh, of yeah. films? It was supposed to be a trilogy. And yeah. it's it's cool <laughs> how, how much you can sort of tell yeah. about that in season three, too. Like, the stuff yeah. with the electricity, and they bring Harry Dean Stanton back. And yeah. <laughs> the two uh, <clears throat> new characters played by Kiefer Sutherland and Chris Isaac. Mm-hmm. That was, what was it supposed to be? Its own show before they decided to oh, work yeah. into the movie. Yeah. I was going to introduce a new show with new characters or a spinoff. Yeah. At least that's what I thought they were trying to do with I it I think anyway. he, he wanted Cooper to be in that first part, but yeah. then McLaughlin was like, no thanks, but then he came back for a smaller role. Yeah. Eventually. Firewalk Me is pretty dark, though, too. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, they were able to squeeze a lot of things in this that they couldn't do on TV, like some of the sex stuff. Yeah. You know, they couldn't do that on TV, <clears throat> so he was kind of had a little more, you know, free reign to do some of that. Well, the opening yeah. credits to the movie open on a TV set, the camera pulls back, and a sledgehammer smashes the television. <clears throat> yeah. <Right. laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's... Oh, I, I remember, yeah. Yeah. In a way, though, I kind of feel like... I think he went a little bit too far. Like, oh, we can make this as dark as possible. Because I think the one thing that the always kind of bugs me about the movie is it just doesn't have the same really good balanced tone that yes. the show does. Where, like, the show's dark, but it's also funny. Mm. And the movie is just, like, probably the most punishingly bleak, brutal thing. Like... That is not a fun movie to watch. It's and kind of no. Twin Peaks no. is like Twin Peaks is fun as the, dark as it is. And the, the first half like, of <laughs> first half of Firewalk with me, I'd say, is fun with you know the Gordon Cole's character and uh, her yeah. name is Lil, the <laughs> woman with the red dress and the blue rose yeah. and all that. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, like all the you know, I I do I love Firewalk with me. Part of me, I've always kind of wondered if making a movie that's just, like, everything we already know about the last days of Laura Palmer, except, like, darker and more explicit, like, mm. was that just maybe not the right movie to make, and that's why it didn't do great, and he didn't get to make the other two? Well, like, also, people yeah. were burnt out on Twin Peaks in America yeah. at that point, but in Japan, it was a mainstream blockbuster, like, Terminator 2 oh, and wow. Firewalk with me were the top two movies in japan that year that's crazy yeah because that's oh not what God. you would think you know the twin peaks was very popular in japan and yeah. the popularity stayed there were actually a, a number of commercials coffee commercials japanese coffee commercials and they got kyle mclaughlin to come and do these it's, they're really weird but they're in the extras on the blu-ray wow that's you know because nuts. usually you know the Asian theatrical community is very hard on U.S. cinema. Like, a lot of things that we release there do not do well. So this is, you know, this more art house, super dark, violent, sexually explicit movie does really well there. Mm. That just, that's kind of shocking to me. Like, you would think that this would be, like, punished. Like, they'd be like, no, we're not touching that thing. No, it was the only country in the world that it did well in at the time. Wow. That's weird. Kind of amazing. Yeah, mm. I... I think I like that movie a lot more now. I think for a lot of years it sort of bugged me because it was like, okay, we have no closure from season two of the show, and then you get to make a movie, and this is what you did, and it gives us 
arguably even less closure mm-hmm. and a lot of it is sort of stuff that we already knew but then season three i think kind of like recontextualizes it in a way that i think makes it work a lot better in retrospect mm-hmm. yeah it's my personal favorite lynch movie but it's, it's a good pick too i'm glad it's gotten reappraised yeah. over the years people mm-hmm. have said it, it got panned and i really don't think it deserved that at all no it's a good movie it's just like like the end of season two it's frustrating that it's like you can tell that it was supposed to be the beginning of something else where it's like all the stuff that they introduce with yeah philip jeffries the david bowie character uh. and all this <laughs> mythology and they also shot it was originally almost three hours with uh, all the cast members of the original show came back yeah and he in post-production decided to cut them all out and just focus on laura's ordeal yeah which I'm fine with, but I've seen there's a fan edit that exists that incorporates all of the missing pieces back into the movie mm. as a three-hour firewalk with me. Mm. Yeah, we could dedicate a whole couple episodes just to Twin Peaks, couldn't we? We absolutely could. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. So Lost Highway, 1997. Mm-hmm. I love Lost Highway. It's yeah. so good. I had actually only seen Lost Highway one time and a few weeks ago. We came over here and we watched the 4K re-release in the basement. Yeah, and I want to watch it again now. Mm-hmm. Like it's so good. It is. It's so very, very good. Kind of serves almost as a precursor to Mulholland Drive with you know some of the oh yeah the shifting going on in the story. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the multiple identities, the multiple and- identities, and Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman is He's so, so good in So it. good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very good. And the funny thing is, remember what I said when we were watching? I'm like, man, he really looks like a young... Well, he looks like Alexander Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. He does. Yeah. He really it does. does. It was yeah. like kind of like freaky. Then we kept all saying that while we were watching it. But no, uh, mm. Lost Highway is great. Yeah. Absolutely great. That was a case, too, where the soundtrack ended up outselling the movie. Like, now the movie, people know it, but in 1997, most people bought the soundtrack and then saw the movie because it was produced by Nine Inch Nails and contained the perfect drug track. Perfect drug, yeah. It's a a really, really good soundtrack, for sure. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How how do you feel about Lost Highway, Connor? I think it's great. On my first watch, I like would have said I liked it, but I thought it was his hardest to parse, sort of. And I still sort of think that. Besides, like Inland Empire, maybe. Mm. But I think it's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's since you mentioned how hard it is to parse. That's uh, the last time I showed that to some friends who had never seen it before. We talked about it for like a couple hours and. There are a bunch of ways you can read that movie, but I think it's very deliberately built, so no matter how you read it, there is, like, a piece that doesn't fit with any explanation. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like he made it very deliberately so that you can't land on one explanation that totally makes sense. There's always, like, a little piece that's gonna, like, bug you. Like, oh, I think it's this, but it can't be because of this. Yes. And it, yeah. it's like he plotted that out in a way that is a little bit insidious and a little bit like, like, ah, oh, you people who are trying to figure out my films. Yeah. 
Well, it's Fuck similar you. with Mulholland Drive. Like every time I think I have it completely figured out, then I'm like, oh, but wait a second. Mm. Like this doesn't totally add up. I still think I have it figured out, but maybe I don't. Yeah, I I think I think Mulholland Drive. I think there is a solution that makes sense to Mulholland Drive. I think so too. Yeah, for sure. I don't want to. I don't think, spoil it. I don't think it has to make sense though. Yeah. At least on some level. Like I love thinking about Lynch's work thematically. Yeah. yeah, it's really fun to think about, but. Like you said, there is always some small inconsistency yeah. that makes you think that it's not that. Yeah. Well, like every mystery doesn't need to be solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Are we sticking on Lost Highway, sir? Are we moving on to the straight story? Let's go to the, let's go straight, the straight, story. straight story. I've never seen <clears throat> this one. So. Oh, yeah. I've. I saw this one in theaters. It was the first Lynch film that I saw in in theaters. It's the only Lynch I still haven't seen in theaters. Mm, Actually, take that back. Dune I haven't seen in the theater. It's Lynch's G-rated movie. Lynch's G-rated movie. Walt Disney. Yeah. It's just weird. Like, what made him decide to do this all of a sudden? Um, it... it, I don't... Because it's it's interesting. Like, it's... It's G-rated by default because it is absolutely a movie for adults. Like, okay, show yeah, that to yeah. a kid and they will be bored to tears. I mean, it's like it's it's about an old man who rides his tractor across the country to visit his dying brother. Like, it's <laughs> it's definitely a movie for adults, but it's like there's no violence, there's no bad language, right. there's no reason for it to be, you know, rated anything else. But like, why did Disney give him the money to do this? It's great. It's just, like, wild that that's, you know, like, if that got made today, you'd think it would be, like, I don't know, like an A24 or a Neon would be the kind of studio that would pay him to... It's like, why did... How the hell did he get Disney to bankroll that? Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting film, though, for sure. It's, um... It's very small-town America, Twin Peaks, without the surrealism, more just... The small mm-hmm. town lumberjacks and the yeah. tractors and <clears throat> all the unusual people and their peculiarities, all those things kind of come into play. But even then, it's it's so subtle that yeah. you'd have to really be looking for it to recognize it as a David Lynch film. Yeah, it feels very like it feels very Altman to me in a lot of ways. I was yeah. just like very like observational slice of life. Okay, just like little like piece of America, mm. and yeah. Richard Farnsworth, Sissy Spacek, Harry Dean Stanton all give really, really good performances in it. Everett McGill shows up in it, too. Oh! Like does, her, he's the guy that sells him the second tractor. Oh, okay. Yeah, I need to check this one out, because I've always wanted to see it, but it's just been like a blind spot for me yeah. um, constantly. Mm-hmm. It was on Disney Plus when I watched it, okay. so oh, it okay. might be on there. Oh, So cool. I definitely need to check this out at some point. Connor, remind me okay. to watch it. Got it. Yeah. Yep. So, Mulholland Drive. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we can all agree this is is this like this is kind of the high point, correct? Yeah. Well, is, I would say it. Yeah. I think it might be. I think that Twin Peaks season three is his absolute best work, but this might be his best film work, and I think it deserves the acclaim it's yeah. gotten. Mm-hmm. I still prefer it over Twin Peaks season three. Season three is really good, but I think. Mulholland Drive is sort of like the the quintessential David Lynch thing for mm-hmm. me in a lot of ways. I think that there's something he does in Mulholland Drive that he doesn't do much of in his other movies. I think 
with this movie, Naomi Watts' character, he like really establishes and embellishes in this character a lot. And like it's very, very character driven this movie more so yeah. than his other films. And kind of watching, you know, her evolution throughout this film, I think is a little bit deeper than what we've gotten from some of his other characters. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong in saying that? No, because, uh, well, w- the way the project came together initially was it was going to be another show, another Twin Peaks. And the network saw the pilot, they dropped it. And a French, a French producer reached out to him and offered him the chance to recut it into a feature and shoot new scenes around it. Mm-hmm. And going back and reevaluating it, I think he started to find more of his ideas for who these characters were going to be and their transformation over the course of the movie by going back to it later. I think that's that and the pilot for Twin Peaks are the only two times he's done that where mm-hmm. it didn't go quite the way he wanted it to the first time and he went back and retooled it and wound up getting some of his best ideas. Yeah, I've never actually watched the pilot version that is out there. I'm curious how it compares or how what is what the differences are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've probably seen this one the most of any of his movies. I've probably seen it seven Same. or eight times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Easily. Mm-hmm. And it is fun to pick this one apart. But every time I think I have it figured out, I'm like, nope, I'm wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is part of the fun of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... I'm... I have... I have my theory that I, I think is what is going on in that one, but we, we can we can talk about it offline. Cause like, yeah, I feel like... <laughs> yeah, the... People, people should definitely wrestle with it themselves. I don't want to, like, tell anyone what I think it's about if they've not. Mm-hmm seen it or gotten there i don't know (laughs) but no i mean everything about this film is great i have nothing bad to say about this movie yeah it is it is a perfect film for sure yeah yeah sight and sound name a best film of the decade at one point i can see that they should have (laughs) yeah this was a very uncomfortable watch Mm. (laughs) watching it with my mom in the theater and you know the the lesbian scene starts and this and that and i'm like oh no (laughs) like it's just not comfortable with your mom, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Connor, give us some insight into this one. Well, let me think. Um, <laughs> it's really just about how Hollywood tears you apart. Like, beyond all the theorizing you can do. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a lot so far, I guess. But there's always some more simple thematic guideline that's a little more important than the what exactly is happening here. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think going back to everything we were talking about with Dune, I think there's a lot of his experience with that in the movie with uh, sort of the, you know, the B story of Justin Theroux's director character dealing with <laughs> the like, cowboy. Yeah. And like dealing with like the, the, like, the, the meddling studio heads, like yes. interfering with the project Dan and Hidea like and Angela Bedlamenti spitting the espresso out on the napkin. Yeah. And like, I've always wondered like, is that like his little, like fictionalized what happened to him with Dune? Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah. And like, uh, 
Justin Theroux's character is maybe just, like, his little bit of, like, wish fulfillment of, like, oh, I wish that I could have taken a golf club to, you know, yeah. <laughs> to the studio head's Ferrari. And, mm. you know. <laughs> Talking about Justin Theroux, I'm going to kind of take mm, us into yeah. the weeds here, but Justin Theroux is actually on a series on Apple TV now, mm. The Mosquito Coast. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's based on the movie that had Harrison Ford and uh, River Phoenix in it in the Mm -hmm. 80s, you know? Yeah. Um, But I didn't know. It's Justin Theroux's uncle actually wrote the novel of the Mosquito Coast. Really? Really? And now he stars in this, you know, expanded version of the novel on Mm -hmm. Apple TV. Really, really good. Interesting. Mm. It's like a Breaking Bad meets Mr. Robot meets, you know, all these different kind of tech dramas, mm. but they're off in the middle of nowhere. Mm. So it'll be another one you should check out. Justin Theroux is great. Yeah, he's really good yeah. for sure. He's always very good. So for a little while there, uh, uh, David Lynch started getting into the internet, started his website, <laughs> davidlynch.com, oh. started a bunch of shows, online shows like uh, Rabbits. These three oh, actors yeah. dressed in bunny suits, and <laughs> it's this like creepy sitcom where everything they say is laughing at them, and then it gets more satanic as it goes on. Took all of these various internet projects and decided to jam them together into one three-hour movie, which is Inland Empire. Yes, uh, such a good movie. Yeah, I've I, not seen this. I got to see the restoration in theater. Oh, nice. Yeah. How, how was it? It was really cool. I had already seen it yeah. before then, but mm-hmm. it was awesome seeing one of my favorite director's movies nice. in theater. And it, it's a really good restoration. Some people were worried about it because they thought it might lose like the shot on handheld digital mm-hmm. charm, but it did not. Mm-hmm. It was really good. When it came out in theaters, they, it wasn't given like a general release. They were touring the prints themselves. They paid for the prints themselves and they took them from theater to theater so when it was at the manor that meant lynch and his company came there and wow. checked the theater before unspooling it and it was one of their big it was one of the main arts biggest money makers for a little while there even though it was shot on a dv digital video 480 progressive or interlaced i'm not sure probably interlaced i think i think all dv was 480i mm-hmm and for a lot of people, it was it was a deal breaker. People that went into Lynch's work for these really lush 35 millimeter images kind of got a slap in the face with Inland Empire. Mm. What do you think? Um, I think it's one of the best shot digital movies. Mm-hmm. It really makes good use of it. It totally makes sense in context. I mean, going on to like the movie itself, Laura Dern is great this is probably her best performance in one of lynch's works mm-hmm. besides diane oh yeah i i love it i love inland empire mm-hmm. it doesn't really make sense except it does but it also doesn't it's incredibly confusing yeah a big chunk of it's in poland too like involving this old uh polish movie that got made that supposedly got its oh, yeah. cast members killed yeah and that was really interesting too that you know this is the first lynch project that went overseas into europe mm. and you know wasn't just in a small town america i mean a lot of it's in america and la but most of it's in poland i i don't know why i've not seen this one either 
I've just not had access to it. Well, you know, the Criterion is coming out in like two months. Okay, I think. It, yeah. It, when mm-hmm. I watched it the first time, it was on YouTube in 1080p as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I watched it yeah on, on DVD when it came out. I need to watch it again. I've only seen it the once, but yeah, it's captivating and weird and creepy, and mm-hmm. it's like there's bits of it that are narratively coherent, but then so much. That's of it what is I was going like to ask. Is it just straight dream. art, or is it is there a narrative to it? There's a narrative to at least part of it, but then it definitely unspools and yeah. unravels in a okay. really weird way. About an hour in, everything just gets insane. And then, like I said, Lost Highway might be as hard to parse work, but it might be this. Yeah, it's the only Lynch film that I've seen a number of times and haven't completely been able to put my finger on it like his other ones you can come to some kind of conclusion and this one uh you you at the end of a three-hour journey it's as long as film too it's three hours yeah um at the end of the journey you you, you don't feel the sense of elation that you do of Mulholland drive where you feel like you've seen something extraordinary right, right. you kind of go oh yeah it's it is a weird, weird, like, yeah, it kind of does the thing that Mulholland does, where, like, yeah, it starts out with a story, and it's, again, it's in Hollywood, and it's got, you know, Justin Throw and Jeremy Irons, and Laura Dern, yeah. and, like, and then it just, like, pulls the rug out from under you, <laughs> and it gets real weird, but then it just stays that way yeah. for, like, two hours, where it's just, mm-hmm. like, weird, nightmarish. It also has probably the most, like, viscerally frightening stuff in any David Lynch Oh, my God, that one frame the, near the end of the, the face. The face. There's like oh a clown, God. There's a clown face that uh, <sighs> Laura Dern makes, and it's the stuff of nightmares. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Every now and then, yeah, I still think about it. Like, oh, remember that? That was terrifying. So, <laughs> before we wrap this up tonight, what has he been doing? Because this was 2006, right? Oh. Uh, Twin Peaks season three, yeah. twenty seventeen. Twin Peaks, yeah. and other than that, just some television and a little bit of film acting here and there. Yeah, well, he does music also. This like that's weird. Right. Yeah, he did like that. I've heard his his album, The Big Dream. That's like kind of like his Angelo Badalamenti music meets this like weird Tom Waitsy like nightmare blues business <laughs> i like the way nuts. nightmare blues yeah. sounds <laughs> you know <laughs> it's a whole new genre yeah he had an album called crazy clown time i think oh god wow. yeah <laughs> yeah no i'm not making that up mm-hmm. sounds good to me he yeah. um he also has a lot of unusual uh things that he got hired to do like there's a michael jackson commercial that he got hired to do that opens the the dangerous DVD. Yeah. I think. Huh. Um. There was a PlayStation Two commercial that he did for Japan. I didn't know that. That's nuts. Huh. Yeah. PlayStation yeah. Two commercial. <laughs> and it's like a it's it's like the main character Henry is going through the lodge in Twin Peaks, and this a duck, a man with a duck head says, "Welcome to the third place." And then PS2. <laughs> he also very briefly on his website got into animation. And yeah, okay. you, you mentioning the duck made me think of that. <laughs> yeah, the one-armed duck fucker. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> I am a one-armed duck fucker. <laughs> that line delivery. 
He did a hand-drawn uh, Flash animated series called Dumbland on his website. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. It lives up to the name. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sweet. We covered a lot of ground tonight mm-hmm. in a short time frame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice work, gentlemen. Nice work. Yeah. So I think we're going to wrap it up for tonight. And uh, we're going to be back next week with episode 137. And we're going to attempt to cover Infinity Pool next Mm. week. So that should be an interesting one. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out projectorscreen.com. And also look up Dawn of the Collectors on Facebook. And we'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye. Visit us at www.themoviesleuth.com. And find The Movie Sleuth on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and iTunes.